Philippians chapter 2. You know, we're working our way through uh, this particular chapter with regards to our Advent. Not necessarily um, the most familiar Christmas passage per se, but nevertheless one that you could clearly use. Philippians chapter 2, and uh, we will start in verse 5, have a quick little refresher from last week. And then we'll move in. Um, This is the holy word of God. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now last week we discussed the humanity of Christ, the um, biblical truth of the fact that Jesus was truly God and truly human. And we discuss the difficulty that we have as humans recognizing that Jesus was truly human. And we um, made sure that we walk through that clearly to help you understand that the Bible teaches that Jesus did not come into being in the manger. Jesus has always existed. In fact, not only has he always existed, but anything that has ever existed only exists because Christ created it, holds it together, and it is for him. And that's important for us to know. But because God so loved the world, he sent Christ to take on flesh. He emptied himself meaning he laid down his advantage of deity. He did not lay down his deity, but he laid down his advantage of deity. He became nothing in the sense that he took on flesh, and then he was born in a manger. And it's crucial for us to understand, and as you learned last week, one of the greatest truths that comes out of that is we do not have a high priest who does not understand what it means to walk in this life. We have a high priest that when we come in and we lay out our petitions and our burdens and our sorrows and our struggles, our high priest does not say, leave, I don't know what you're talking about. Instead, he says, come closer because I understand. And that is good news. And man... I can't wait till we go full charismatic when we have, because <laughs> that is some good, some of y'all are like, I hope I'm out of here. We go. <laughs> but the joy of knowing that truth, that that is who we serve. We don't serve a God who says, leave, or why are you bothering me? But he says, come closer and tell me what you're going through, because I have walked that path yet without sin and so I will guide you on how you should do it and then I want to re-preach that all over again but 
can't do that. But in verse 8, Paul continues to clarify that Jesus being found in human form, he humbled himself. We've already looked at the fact that he humbled himself by laying down his advantage, by taking on flesh. But he continues, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, comma, even death on a cross. Now, it's interesting to me. You would think, in some form or fashion, uh, that being humble, laying down the advantage of deity, taking on flesh, being obedient to the Father, and becoming obedient to death is enough to call him worthy. And yet, Paul wants to make sure, he wants to emphasize that not only did he become obedient to the point of death, but he wants to emphasize that he became obedient to death on a cross. That he didn't just die, that he died by execution on a cross. Now, I have enjoyed this study on this sermon um, I would have, if you would have asked me that question right off the bat, just over coffee, I would have given you some thoughts on that, but it's been fun to walk through this. But I have tried to understand better on why Paul wants to emphasize the kind of death that Jesus died. The humiliating, grotesque, and painful death on a cross. Um, the church has always sanitized its church history. Um, much like we do, our past always seems to be better, right, than it is now. And when we go back there, then, then the past was better, then the, then the past was better. And so we, it's not any different in church history. We pretend like church history has always been everyone got along, everyone Got, you know, they got together, they sang songs. Um, 120 people did gather in Acts, but soon after, I'm sure, historically, some denominations started. <laughs> Somebody didn't like the time of the prayer. I mean, it happens. And we sanitize our pictures of the Scripture. The manger has been sanitized. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to a farm or a manger. Just ponder that. We sanitize that. But we have also sanitized the cross much more than we probably have sanitized anything else. Because the reality of Roman crucifixion is that Jesus was naked when he was crucified. So, so we, can't, we can't do that. And here's, there's a lot of reasons why. I get it. But one of those is we struggle with the humanity of Christ. That's one and two, we just, we just can't go there. And you need to understand the Bible goes there. That there's very, there's a lot of history on the cross and the traditional form of being crucified by the Romans is they did that with you naked. Because not only did they want to kill you, because Rome had a really good way of stopping 
problems. And that was how, if you, if you had a problem with Rome, they would just kill you. It's a very good solution, by the way. But not only that, they wanted to make you an example of anyone else watching. This was not done in private in a, you know, a, inside of a prison. They brought it out public. They did it publicly because they wanted everyone to understand if you come up against Rome, this is how we handle that. There are no negotiations. We kill you. And not only do we kill you, we humiliate you during that time. And so Jesus, by all understanding of history, would have been stripped naked. See how that's uncomfortable for us? He was publicly mocked. Can you imagine that? I spent time as a police officer. Um, Mocking me was a really quick way to get a criminal history. (laughs) (laughs) You want to mock me? I'll let that happen for a little while. I'm like, "Ah, are you having fun? (laughs) Well, you get to hang out with me a little longer today. Can you wrap your mind around the creator and sustainer of the universe being mocked by people that he holds together their lungs. They cannot formulate speech if Christ did not hold that together. He is crucified on a hill He created on wood that he created by people that he breathed life into. And that creation now mocks him. Isaiah 53, 3 says he was despised. He was despised. Any of you enjoy being despised? Jesus was despised. By the way, if you've ever been despised, you have a faithful high priest who gets it. (laughs) See, I want to go back there so bad. (laughs) He was rejected by men. Ever been rejected by men? He was a man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the Shame. The cross was shameful. And Jesus, I would love to preach Hebrews chapter 12. I won't. But Jesus despised the shame. He said, I know that you think you have power here, but I am moving this way for the joy that was set before me. But he despised the shame, and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the cross was incredibly shameful and humiliating. 
The cross was unimaginably painful. Our best history has probably not produced anything better than Mel Gibson did. That's a whole other subject. (laughs) But I can assure you that no movie can do justice to what that event was like. We have no framework as Americans who at the slightest hints, hint of abuse by government officials will scream and yell and cry foul, who are worst of the worst criminals by and large in each state are executed by putting a needle in their arm and putting them to sleep. See, we have, we have no framework for a brutalized man beaten to almost death and then dragged by a cross with soldiers whipping him to a hill where he is then nailed naked and bleeding on a cross to just sit there until your body finally gives up. We have, we have no framework for this. And if you saw it, you would puke your guts up. And we would all be in therapy for the rest of our lives. That's the cross. Many experts have said that he more than likely would not have recovered from the simple beating that he took. Much less the brutal cross. Isaiah 53, 5 says he was pierced. For our transgressions, and he was crushed, crushed for our iniquities. So, why a cross? Why this particular method of execution? You have people say, Well, why wasn't he shot? And I'm like, Well, there's a few reasons historically for that. (laughs) One would be they didn't have any guns. But he could have just been stoned to death. Could have just been hanged. Could have been had his head chopped off like John the Baptist. Um, And it was fun walking through this because there's some divided opinions here. Uh, But I think the cross is significant. And number one, because Paul seems to think so, inspired by the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 3. He says this. For all who rely on the work of the law, that would be us, we are under a curse. So, you want to be holy? I want to be holy. You want to be accepted by God? Yes. You want to go to heaven and not hell? Yes. Here's what you have to do. Are you ready? Yes. You have to obey all of the law, all the time, no mistakes. Well, I can't do that. Right. Because you were born into sin. And therefore, a curse sets upon you. And so Paul, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, curse be everyone, that's us, who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them, which is also us. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. More than likely, all of us. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Paul says, this is important. You have a curse on you because you were born into sin. You cannot perform the law. Even if you knew all the law, you could never walk in all the law. And so now there is a curse that sets upon you. You are cursed. Now, us who grew up watching movies and stuff, you've ever had a movie where somebody was cursed, generally in the movie, they have to go find someone who can remove the curse. Enter Jesus. And Jesus takes on flesh and becomes a curse. And Paul references Deuteronomy chapter 21. And in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 through 23, It says this, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain out on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. So Paul connects the criminal who is put to death in Deuteronomy chapter 21. He he, committed a crime that the only solution was death. And by the way, there were no appeals. You didn't wait 75 years. The Israelites handled this quickly. And there is a crime that's been committed, and that crime means that person should be killed, and they execute them and hang them on a tree, and everyone went cursed by God. That man is cursed by God. Don't lose the significance of that. Paul isn't the only one who makes this connection. Now, here is where some debate comes into play, and I understand that, um, but I still find it very interesting. If you land somewhere else with reference to what I'm going to say about Acts, um, that's okay. Um, Like I said, you can take me for coffee or whatever, and you can buy, and we can discuss it all day long. But it's interesting to me that in Acts chapter 5, when Peter is addressing his argument about who Christ is, that he says in verse 30 of chapter 5, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you Jews killed by hanging him on a, doesn't use the word for the cross, tree. In Acts 10, and we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. And then Paul picks up the same theme in Acts 13. And though they found, him in no, and though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, Deuteronomy, worthy of death. Jesus, not worthy of death, but somebody has to take the curse off. And so in Acts, and though they found him And found in him no guilt worthy of death. They asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Now the Greek word here uh, is skulon, which is used in all these Acts passages. And it simply means a tree or a piece of wood. 
In Galatians chapter 6, Paul uses a different word. Paul says, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I was curious on why Paul uses cross here, but in Acts uses tree. And there's, like I said, some debate here, but I find it interesting. Maybe you could find it somewhat interesting as well. If not, well, the sermon's going to be boring to you, but uh, here we go. But he says, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And the Greek word here is staros, which is the Greek word referencing the actual Roman instrument of death. It's actually speaking to the crucifixion. Now, every time in the Gospels, when Jesus speaks of the cross, he uses the word for the actual instrument of death. No doubt in my belief, and um, I think others, that that's because his audience would have been very familiar with that. So when Jesus, and we have taught this before in this church, when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, you need to understand, we have new people here who maybe have not heard this taught, that has nothing to do with a burden. Like if you say, well, my wife, that's my cross to bear. First of all, if you say that, <laughs> you might get executed. Um, but nevertheless, um, but just I have a bad job, that's my cross to bear. I have a health problem, that's my cross to bear. Nobody listening to Jesus teach would have thought that. When Jesus said, you need to take up your cross, they all understood that to mean you need to be crucified. Much heavier weight than I have a burden to bear. And so Jesus speaks to this cross. Now, it's interesting to me. There's been some debate on this about whether or not it's just a different Greek word. They just use something different. Uh, but is it interesting to me that if that's the case, it's, it's not how Paul uses Galatians. Paul uses Galatians and he makes sure that everyone understands that the cross, that he uses the word tree because he wants to understand that the tree is in relations to Deuteronomy, that the person who is laid or hung on the tree is the curse of God. Now, if you understand that, it might help you, for those of you who have been walking through our First Corinthians study, to understand a little bit better why they, as the Jews, said Jesus can't be our Messiah. That's a stumbling block to the Jews because if the Jews connect their Messiah with being hung on a tree as cursed, that doesn't make any sense to them. How can the Messiah who's going to come back as the mighty king, how can the Messiah come back cursed and hung on a tree as someone who has committed a crime worthy of death? The Messiah doesn't commit a crime, and he doesn't. But he does need to take a curse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, if you've been here in this church for very long, it's a common um, verse that we use says, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Jews in early part of 1 Corinthians completely missed that. They missed it. Christ was cursed, and he was cursed because of my sin, and your sin. But he took that curse, placed it upon himself, and he canceled 
our curse. Canceled our debt. And he gave us righteousness in place. And he gave us life, true life. Colossians chapter 2 puts it this way. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this, And you, that's us, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, us. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. And here's how that happens. For those who believe that Jesus died on the cross, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. You need to be holy. How do I do that? you got to do all the lists. This is what you have to do. I can't do that. Well, then you're cursed. And Jesus says, I will take the curse for you. I will take the curse, and I will do all of the law. And he set its legal demands aside, nailing it to the cross. Oh, that's good. And then, I love this verse 15. I almost want to preach on it. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame (laughs) by triumphing over them in him. So is Christ worthy? He took on flesh. He fulfilled all the law perfectly. He was a perfect, spotless, sinless Sin offering hung on a tree. The cross of Christ shouts that Jesus was cursed by God because he took on my sin and he took on your sin to make atonement for it. And that is good news. So when you look at the manger, not only do you look at God who took on flesh, who laid his advantages of deity aside, not only do you see that, but you see Christ Obedient to the cross because you needed someone to take your curse for you. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he has put him to grief. God crushed his own son. I have two sons could never do that. But God so loved us that the only way we could be brought back into a right relationship is for sin to be paid for. And Jesus took on the curse, and God crushed him to make your atonement possible. Isaiah 53, 12 says it this way. He poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he, yet he bore the sin of many. So is he worthy for bearing our sin and rescuing us from the curse of sin? Yes, he is. Because he was obedient to death. And not just death, but death on a cross. The next time you look at a cross... Make sure you understand what it meant when Jesus hung there. Because somebody hung there who had committed a crime, 
punishable by death. He took on your sin, took on your curse, though he had committed no sin. And God crushed him so that you could have a way back to the Father. And that is the gospel. That you, you're like, we're going to repeat this again. Yes, we are. Because we need to hear it. Because we are so stubborn that we keep thinking we can do this on our own. That somehow we can earn this. And you, if you were to ever see that crucifixion, you understand. I couldn't do this. I could never earn this. Christ had to do this for me. You were born into sin. No one had to teach you how to sin. You sin naturally all by yourself. We could all teach how to sin classes. And would be very good at it. We were born into sin. And that sin separated us from a holy, holy, holy God. Who says I can have nothing to do with sin. But that God loved us. And he loved us so much that he sent Christ. And Christ loved the Father so much that he was obedient to the Father. And he laid the advantages of deity down and he took on flesh and he became nothing. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And the reason that is is because somebody had to be hung on a cross dead who took on our curse. And God crushed him. And for those who get that, when the Holy Spirit opens your mind to this and you see it, do you remember, believer, when you saw it for the first time? When you see it and you understand, behold the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. I get it. Then you repent and you believe. It's the only thing the Bible ever says. No magic words. You repent of the sins that put him there and you believe and you are changed. People say, well, how do I know I became a believer? Because your life will never be the same again. Will you be perfect? No. Will you fail? Absolutely. But for the first time in your life, there will be a voice that says, this is not what I have for you. This sin is not for you. There is something better. And you will all the time lay sin aside, pursue Christ. Lay sin aside and pursue Christ. We come back in here and we're like, I can't do it. I keep failing. I can't get all this stuff right. I know. Here's the gospel. He took your curse. People say, so I can just keep on sinning? Oh, if you just think that you could just keep on sinning and you don't care anything about your sin life, then you have never seen the cross. Because if you understood the cross, you would be broken over your sin. You would be broken. And you would keep laying it aside and pursuing Christ. The result of people who understand the cross and whose lives have been changed by the Holy Spirit are people who are broken by their sin. Not perfect, but we are redeemed. We are redeemed. And that's the good news. Keith's going to come and sing. I hope that your hearts will be stirred by the word this morning. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Because if you do not, there is a curse 
that sits upon you. And so you can either say, I'll let God crush his son, I'll believe in that event to take care of my curse, or make no doubt, if you say no to Christ, your sin will be paid for by an eternity in hell. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to stir hearts. God, that you would take, take the blinders off an unbeliever's eyes this morning. God, may they say, see the, the, the cruelty of the cross, the humiliation of the cross, the shame of the cross, but may they see the beauty of the cross, God. May they recognize their sin. God, may you stir them to repentance and faith in your son. I pray, Lord, you would do that this morning. God, for people like me and other believers in here, Lord, who um, continue to fail, we don't get it right as much as we think we should you would gently remind us that we could never get it all right. And that is why the cross is there. And I pray, Lord, we would join with Paul and we would boast in the cross by which the world has been crucified to me and me to the world. And Lord, you would continue to stir us to walk toward holiness in our life, that we would live lives worthy of the gospel, not to earn your love, but we would walk out lives of holiness because you love us. I pray, Lord, you would transform some believers' hearts this morning who came in here burdened and struggling. And may they sense and feel your love because of the cross anew again, Lord. May they be reminded. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for becoming our curse for us. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray.